Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In the absence of a directional change uh, at the federal level, what you're going to see is at least our province, and I suspect some others, uh, that, that will challenge each and every one of these regulations as they come out because uh, the, the, the federal government doesn't have the, the constitutional authority uh, to uh, change how or if we are developing our natural resources. It's entirely under the provincial authority as per the Constitution. So, so I know for the last 21 hours you've been thinking about nothing else other than what's it going to sound like tomorrow. Right? It's been on your mind all night, all morning. What's green going to sound like tomorrow? Well, this is it. The laryngitis is going, but it's not entirely gone yet. That, of course, was Premier Mo. On the program with us not so long ago, he had a call too that during that interview. And uh, the premier, speaking very clearly what the government of Saskatchewan's view is, of the federal government's actions and determination and initiatives are as far as interfering with provincial jurisdiction on energy rights. Well, it was a week ago that the province of Alberta experienced a really serious issue with the electrical grid. It was in danger of being so overloaded, the blackouts across the province were very near. And Premier Daniel Smith uh, pointed, uh, posted rather to X, that uh, Federal Environment Minister Gilbo's various net zero plans for 2035 are going to cost trillions of dollars and lead to energy and food insecurity. So a week ago, in the province of Alberta, it was very, very close and very, very alarming. And the Premier joins us on the Roy Green Show. Premier, good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, Roy. Just how close were you? Very close. Um, it's sort of tough to, for people to get their head around what it means to, to be within 40 megawatts of having to have rolling blackouts. But when you, when you think about our power grid at its peak can now use about 12,500 megawatts. That's how close we were. With another 40 megawatts of additional power, we would have had to go to rolling blackouts. And what that means is that you have to shed 100 megawatts at a time. 100 megawatts would have put 120,000 homes in the dark for a minimum of half an hour at a time as we cycled through and got over over that, that period of time when it's minus 35, minus 40 plus with the wind chill. People are at home making dinner, doing kids' homework. You can just imagine what it would mean to be then plunged into darkness with everywhere your eye can see, not knowing what's going on with 120,000 of your neighbors. We had to avoid that. That's the reason we needed to do an emergency alert. It was that close. And uh, this speaks to the federal liberals' net zero plans, doesn't it? Oh, well, it does. You know, I I listen with interest to hear um, Premier Scott Moe say that they don't have the constitutional authority they also don't have the governance competence to engage in this area. I mean, our experts were watching this all day long. 
They were watching what was happening with solar. They were watching what happened with solar when the when the sun went down and it falls off completely. They were watching what was happening with wind, which wasn't uh, producing much power anyway. But when you get dark and you have that kind of temperature and the strain on the mechanics, you have to shut it down. And so they knew that we were getting closer and closer from 4 o'clock on. They were watching more and more power uh, come on at, at, in demand. And they knew by 6 o'clock we had to do an alert. I mean, under Stephen Guibault's plan, we would have had to call him to get permission to be doing something to bring new power on. That's how absurd it is for the environment minister federally to think that they can intervene when we have these kinds of situations develop. It's very fluid. You have to be able to respond quickly. And it's certainly not within their governance competence or their constitutional authority to intervene. That's why we have to make sure this stays provincial. So you're minus 35. You're on the verge of losing the grid. And you have to call the minister personally. I guess that's how it would go down. And when you think about the time shift at night, who knows where he's going to be? Who knows if on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. in Montreal, anybody would even be available. So this is why we we expressed concern about this very early on, because we were already seeing stress on our grid. We we, we had gone from having virtually no um, alerts of getting us this close to having eight. We've had eight. We had eight of these alerts from September of 2022 um, before I started uh, raising the alarm on this. And we, we just had four more. So, so 12 alerts within the space of, of 18 months. I mean, we, we are seriously uh, under pressure on our grid and more demand for power is going to continue coming on. We need to be able to have all power from all sources that make sense. And in our geographic area, Natural gas is what makes sense. So what is the uh, federal environment minister telling you you have to do? Well, he's telling us that by 2035, we have to have a carbon neutral power grid. And I think that their conception of that when they first started out was thinking, oh, well, Alberta can just be solar and wind and batteries. Well, I think now people understand why that's not possible. Solar and wind work great during the day. Uh, but once you get to minus 35 and the sun's down, you can't just tell people, wait till the sun comes up tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. to solve this problem. You've got to figure out how you're going to bridge from 5 p.m. at night when it's dark. You've got no solar, no wind and 9 a.m. in the morning when you're going to be able to have those resources come on. And, and I know uh, there's great hope in batteries, but the information I have is that batteries right now last about an hour. It costs a lot of money for to be able to get a, a, a megawatt of backup, a million dollars, I understand, per megawatt for backup, and they last an hour. So that's not an option either. So we have to use natural gas, but what the uh, environment minister wants us to do is have a, a 95% of that abated on emissions by 2035. Best available technology right now is about 60 to 65%. So essentially he wants us to shut down our natural gas Call him for permission if we get into these situations to be able to bring it on. It's absurd. And I'm not going to say that it's possible. It's not possible. And that's why we've just simply said we're not going to do it. That's part of the reason I had to invoke the Alberta Sovereignty within the United Canada Act to say whatever they end up finalizing, Alberta is going to have to chart its own path because we have to have reliability. We have to have affordability. And we're going to to go down a path that makes sense for us, which is a, a carbon neutrality by 2050. Premier, it doesn't seem like the federal liberals are going to change their minds. At the World Economic Forum, Canada's Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland, defined decarbonization as the singular issue defining the world economy. They're not backing off. 
it is their obsession as a as a government. I understand that uh, because you can. There's only there's no other way to, to understand why they're allowing Stephen Guibault to have the latitude now to go after what pizza ovens in Montreal. I mean, that's how absurd this environment minister and this administration is getting. There there are three aspects to what we have to deal with: reliability and affordability are just as important as reducing emissions. You cannot have the lights go down and the furnaces turn off in minus 35. You cannot have the air conditioning units go off in plus 35 either. We have to be able to manage the extremes. Otherwise, people die. I mean, people forget this. And uh, when they had the grid failure in Texas, I was watching this because I was on the air at the time. This is why I've been so sensitive what happens when you have a lot of renewables on your grid? Because our market's very much like Texas. 346 people died when, when their grid went down. This is, this is not games that we are playing. This is not virtue signaling that we're playing. This is people's lives. And that's why I'm not going to compromise on something that I know is not achievable and will put people in danger. I just can't do that. You know, I was about to mention the issue that lives could be at stake because there is life-sustaining medical equipment in people's homes, and Mm -hmm. uh, they're on battery backup. But if you go into blackout mode, how long will those battery uh, backups work? And lives, as you say, would be directly at stake. It's interesting that that hasn't been addressed, or maybe it has, by Mr. Gibo, but I haven't heard anything about that. Well, I guess this is just it. I mean... When I, when I started telling people and did our, our campaign about nobody wants to freeze in the dark in winter, um, people didn't believe me when I said that our, our grid was that unstable and that we were at that point. And so now people have to really think through about what that means. What would it have meant if somebody was down without power for 30 minutes in the kind of conditions I've described? We, we simply can't have that happen. So uh, that, that's, I, I hope we have a national discussion about this. It's, it's really a, um, a global discussion we have to have, because it's not just us that is going through this. I mean, there, there were problems in Idaho at the same time. Um, there were problems down south that uh, British Columbia was sending their power down south. Uh, Saskatchewan was able to bail us out uh, with a, a small intertie that we have with them. But, but we know that uh, the entire region was, was under the same, the, the same threat. And we have to be, we have to be putting the, the lives and well-being of our citizens first. I just received an email from uh, Cody in Alberta to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. He writes, Roy, I was in the middle of a 20-hour workday trying to keep my facility and oil wells going that night. And I was just praying that we wouldn't get hit with a blackout. As well as concern for my family at home, minus 45 wind chill is no joke. This is beyond comfort, like Stephen Guibault wants everybody to believe it's time for adults to take over and get serious here. There's one Alberta position. Well, I appreciate his, his feedback. I can tell you, my, my electricity minister, Nathan Mutifer, is really emotional because at 6 o'clock when we made the decision that we absolutely had to call on Albertans, they responded in spades. He said he looked out his window and it was almost, it was blackness because everybody stood up and turned their lights off. And to get the kind of response that we did with 100 megawatts immediately within the first minute and then 200 megawatts coming off the grid within five minutes, we had to have probably, he estimates, 500,000 Alberta households taking part to do their part, to shut off their lights, to turn down their space heater, to unplug their electric car, to unplug their block heater, to switch over to to using a, a microwave instead of their, their electric stove. 
500,000 households participating in that to make sure that our grid didn't go down. You can, you can imagine it was an all of Alberta approach. I'm so grateful for it, but yeah. it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to have enough reliable power so that uh, those kind of grid alerts are, are rare or don't happen at all. So that's part of the reason why when I got elected, it was sort of job one to figure this out. As we started seeing these ridiculous policies come through from the federal government, I fought them every step of the way. I'm going to continue to. And we're in the process of trying to engineer a grid that is going to be there for baseload power so that when the sun is down and the wind's not blowing and it's minus 35 at night, people can keep their lights on and make sure that the houses stay warm. Premier, do you expect that the other provinces, um, in addition to Saskatchewan, will be engaging as you have when they've seen what went on in your province? I know some provinces have less of an issue with an electrical grid than Alberta and Saskatchewan. What are you expecting? Well, I can, I can tell you I've already been watching with great interest as uh, Quebec has acknowledged that they have to stop allowing new industry to come on stream because they're grid constrained. Um, they, um, by 2027, they've already used all of their uh, available hydro resources. When they, um, so they're going to have to look at how they're going to, to fill that gap. Uh, British Columbia as uh, as well. They uh, they already have Site C fully allocated. They've been suffering some issues because of drought. So I, I understand they haven't been able to have the same capacity that, that they had hoped to have. Um, so I believe that, that we are at a point where we did build that extra capacity in, but we're continuing to grow as a, an economy. We're continuing to welcome more people here from around the world, have more industry, and you have to bring more power on, on the grid. And, and these projects are not easy to bring on. Um, hydroelectric now, especially now that we know about the impact on First Nations, fish habitat, uh, biodiversity, they're not very easy to get through the regulatory process. You can't just uh, get those done within a couple of years. It takes decades to get those approved. For us, natural gas, we're able to get them approved, get them cited, and get them on stream relatively quickly. So that's why that's going to look at be our solution. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing with uh uh, Ontario um, and the work that they're doing on developing small modular reactors. You probably saw one of our major power producers, Capital Powers, just started the, the process for how we might bring nuclear onto Alberta's power grid. They think they can get that done by 2035 on the first one, which is encouraging. And so I think that'll be a larger role. But we're in a period now where we're going to all be constrained in some way. We all have to grapple with how are we going to meet the, those power demands. Yeah. So the Liberals' directives, Mr. Gibo's directives, Mr. Trudeau's directives, can they be easily overturned by another government, for example, the Conservative Party of Mr. Polyev? And do you have assurances from Mr. Polyev's party that they would, in fact, do that? I can tell you the first step is they're going to be ignored. Um, they don't have the constitutional authority to do what they're doing. And so you will see that myself and Scott Moe and hopefully others will will challenge them. First of all, we've said we're just simply not implementing them. So we're going to do what we can to plan out our grid to ensure reliability, affordability, and, and continued movement towards emissions reduction. And I suppose the feds can take us to court if they think somehow we're violating the Constitution. I think we'd win this one. Uh, but then, uh, obviously, uh, any new administration would have to do a reversal. And I, I, I wish this administration would, would take their head out of the sand and do a reversal and realize that as aspirational as they want to be, they're moving too far too fast 
technology that's not available, timelines that are not achievable, and they're creating a lot of tension and division in the country. Why not just align around 2050, which is where we are, which is where Scott Moe is? Why do they have to try to press for something that will only result, I think, in worse outcomes for Canadian consumers? It makes no sense. And so we're, we're going to continue to try to be the voice of reason, but we, we haven't had much success with this environment minister. He's an ideologue. He's not seeing reason. I've, I've been pleading with his uh, his cabinet colleagues to rein him in and uh, to, to stop taking actions that are damaging to the Federation and damaging to our, our provincial economies and damaging to people. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.